Welcome to the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast, bringing our communities the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and updates on the capital market to keep you informed and confident. Listen in on conversations with our advisors and industry leaders around the country who are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the Perry Ritchie Group Podcast. Today is Thursday, July 6th, and you are listening to the Perry Ritchie Group Advisor Roundtable. I am your host for today, Drew Ritchie. We have in the studio Brooke Cassidy, Josh Marson, and Andrew Boyles, and we've got a pretty fun discussion queued up for us, I think, today. Um, yeah, we're in the middle of summer right now. It's hot. People are taking vacations. We're back in the office this week, coming off of the 4th of July, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's been an interesting summer. A lot to keep, a lot to keep in touch uh, with. Strange having a holiday on a Tuesday. Strange having a holiday on a Tuesday. I, I don't. I think we should try not to do that. What do you think? That work for you guys? I'll talk to somebody about it. Talk to somebody about it. our office was open a half a day on Monday, uh, and we had a skeleton crew. We tried to do that on on holidays and around holidays. Uh, the market closed at one o'clock on that Monday. Not a lot happens. Most people are out. Is that right? You guys are looking at me. Mark. 12 o'clock. 12. One, o'clock. one o'clock Eastern time. One o'clock Eastern time. Okay. Well, hey, I was one of them that was off. Yeah. We, we, we were open Monday? What? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Josh and, I were, Josh and I were out. But the office was open, and we were here to serve our clients' right. financial needs. So let's dive right in. Josh, uh, I'm going to start with you. We're, you know, we, we always want the markets, the economy, what we're thinking, reading about, watching um, to be a big part of this discussion and uh, you know, being summer, we don't have any events for our clients planned until the fall. Um, There's maybe a few less headlines, uh, things to keep in touch with. And then there is oftentimes the case, but Hey, we're 18 months now into a market slowdown. We'll say Uh, there's big, you know, Josh and I were talking earlier this morning he was having a conference with one of our investment partners. And Josh said, what about the recession? It's what everybody wants to talk about. Are we going to have a recession? Have we already had a recession? Are we in a recession right now? Let's talk about that for a second, Josh. What what uh what are our partners um, that you're talking with saying? Yeah, I mean it. It's nobody's ever going to commit to a forecast like 100% guaranteed. So usually you're going to see some handicapping on one side or another. Um, with rightfully so. But when you look at the data, um, you know, as a baseline, a recession by definition is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Many lots, people, lots of oxymorons built in there. Negative growth. Exactly. Um, We're going to change the definition. All this two stuff. negative quarters compared to a reduction in GDP. Like it's it's a very crude baseline for recession. There's so many other things that really need to take place for a true recession to happen. Um, Some indicators show it, some don't. Uh, Plenty of partners say, you know, the potential of a soft landing uh, is increasing, but at the same point in time, you know, the wind can change very quickly. Uh, Say for instance, and I'm just, Throwing this out there, say the next inflation reading comes out and it's spiked again, right? 
So that would be somewhat of a shock, which in turn could lead to the Fed increasing rates again. You know, it's it's a domino effect. Sure. So, so know, as of now, inflation, the spike was June of 2022, right? Yeah. What was around, it at that point? Around 9.1% okay. year over year. And um, then since then, have we had any spikes back up or has it been a steady decline? Steady decline. And as of, I believe through May, Andrew, tell me if I'm wrong here, it's at 4.1. So from a simplistic standpoint, we've made a lot of progress in really a year, we'll call it. Uh, now, to get to the long-term baseline, I believe it's around two to three, there's some forces in the market that could make that difficult for them, and I say them, the Fed, to get back to that level, i.e. Uh, unemployment is low. Right. There's plenty of things. Once again, it's a very, you're not going to hear anybody commit, which hopefully you never would because that would say they have a crystal ball, but there's there's a lot of people out there that are just 50-50. Hey, I, I really, we could, if we do go into one, most are saying it would be a very shallow recession. We're not looking at 08, 09. That's really the last recency bias type of recession we've had. Sure. Um, but personally, myself, if people want to know my opinion, I'm just, I'm 50-50. There's stuff that I see that, yeah, if it did happen, it could generate a, a shallow recession, uh, which I believe that's what it would be. But there's then other plenty of stuff out there, whether it be consumer sentiment, spending, low unemployment, that are just the inverse of what a recession would dictate. So, can we let me ask you a couple uh, a question, kind of following up from that, because um, there are some statistics that we follow and some numbers um, that we just have to unpack a little bit more like the unemployment rate. I want to get to, mm -hmm. we have a slide, we call it the economic indicator dashboard where there's eight metrics. Now, if you're a client listening to this and you've been in the office, you've probably seen this in one of your reviews. So it shows on those metrics, the historic range, the, um, the, the, Typical. Uh, the typical range. Thank you, Andrew. The typical range where it falls about two-thirds of the time, the most recent snapshot in the 90-day trim. And when we were going over these last summer, 2022, they most of the metrics, I think six out of eight, were outside of historical ranges. Now we've seen that begin to normalize a lot more. There are three metrics on that sheet that are still outside of historical ranges the yield spread, which we're not going to get into this, the difference in government and corporate bonds, consumer sentiment, and then unemployment. And it's a little counterintuitive. I, 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 we got to talk about it to think of why is unemployment being so low, 50-year low? Why is that not a good thing? Why, why are we needing to see that change a little bit and normalize? Yeah. So, I mean, if you, like you said, with the unemployment rate, so that statistic is based on the economic in indicator dashboard. That is the most murky of all the the data we get because there's there's numerous examples in there of those are essentially the people that are raising their hand and saying I'm unemployed and looking for a job and looking for a job, and that just that that generates a whole you know, laundry list of questions from people like us. Um, but then you can also look at uh, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, uh, which is a, a very dry website, uh, but it has tons of data. 
based on our country's economics. And month to month, you can look. And right now it's indicating between 10 and 11 million job openings. So it's a counterintuitive to say, okay, uh, unemployment's at four and a half percent. So four and a half out of a hundred people are unemployed, but there's 11 million job openings. And that's from the top to the bottom, right? From uh, professional status down to the bottom. Down to entry level. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, now, even past unemployment, and, and you may have talked about this, Drew, is when you look under the hood even deeper, you start looking at what is the workforce. Like of the capable and willing people to work, of those people who are working, of our population, who is actually able to work? My my young daughter and child can cannot work. Uh, it, that's child labor laws, I believe, at this point. Um, but that labor force is continuing to decline at a at a small rate, simply because uh, a lot of the baby boom generation, those individuals are retiring, and the younger generations haven't been able to backfill workers. So. You know, once again, that's all around unemployment. It's murky numbers. Um, lots of lots of early retirements during COVID. I, I would love to think that Mike Jennings, our founder, listens to our podcast still. And I hope he does because, Mike, I've used you as an example for the last two years since you retired of early retirements through COVID and companies not being able to backfill all those positions. There's just There's just not enough people looking for the jobs. And when employers have to compete for them, it brings their profit margins down, okay, and then keeps the earnings uh, keeps the earnings down a little, which impacts the market prices and our client statements. So I mean, there's some other, you know, there's there's things that are in play there that there's more to it than meets the eye. Um, will you give us a rundown of like where is the market now, year to date, last quarter? Where do we set on? on yeah, and this is you know uh, rough numbers, of course, looking through the end of the second quarter. But, uh, you know, the S&P 500 was, you know, five to 15 to 16% on the positive side. Uh, NASDAQ was in, which is tech heavy, uh, was in the 30% range. And then the Dow Jones kind of pulled up from behind uh, at more of a very, very modest two and a half to three and a half percent. Okay. Now that's that sounds... Those are year to date, 2023 numbers. That's right. Okay. Now that sounds like... Um, you know, man, we're having a, a, a giant year, right? Well, the market participation, once again, you look under the hood, market participation is, I wouldn't say non-existent, but it's very minimal. Um, Can you unpack that for us a little bit? What do you, what do you mean when you say market participation? Yeah. So like when the, uh, when the market, so you, you have in the market, or in business in general, you have breadth and depth. So is a market very uh, vertical? That would be a deep market. So just a few companies are either performing real well or, or poorly. And then a breadth market is where uh, the participation is across everybody. Okay. And what's really happening is that you look at, uh, we'll call it, the top 10 companies in the S&P 500, which are mainly tech-heavy, uh, we're learning quickly, AI-oriented companies are doing extremely well this year. 
Okay. Now, the other 490 companies in the S&P 500 are, are nowhere in the same game as them. So In general, you know, right? There in, may be in, one that's in there. In general. Yeah, yeah. this is all, you know. That just, was for compliance. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, but that, it's a one in there. it's a it's a depth market. It's not spread of cost. Well, that's a great point. And and Andrew's over here saying, "Hey, I've got all chomping at the bit. He's got yeah, he's, he's got, got stats. Data. He wants yep. to roll off." But hey, uh, and I, I want to get to these, Andrew. The S and P is not equally weighted. So mm-hmm. the first company moves that index a lot more than the five hundredth company. Andrew, how concentrated is it really? Yeah, Josh was talking about um, just the concentration of the top ten. So as these companies get bigger, they take up more of this index or the benchmark. So those top 10 companies, which we won't name, but you can look them up if, if you really want to. But as Josh said, they're largely tech oriented. They make up just under th- a third of the index. So an index of 500 companies, but because those 10 companies are so large, uh, w- when you look at the impact they have on the index, it, it's about a third of, of that benchmark or index have have there been any specific ones in there that are making uh headway or that you know that that 15 16 percent that josh is talking about are, are there any specific ones in there that are contributing most of it yeah i'll, I'll say there's one and again for compliance this is not an endorsement we're just stating what, what's happened here but nvidia is a company that uh year to date is up roughly 180 percent give or take so that's a, a crazy number when you say it out loud, considering we're six months into the year. Um, but that's one of those top 10 holdings. So it's one of the top 10. It can have a significant more impact, again, on the market that people see on the news. And that's what we talk with clients a lot about is uh, expectations versus reality and kind of cutting through the noise. We've, we've I don't say dogged on, but, you, you know, with the Dow Jones, we typically don't quote it because it's just 30 companies. So it's not a fair... And when you say we, you mean you specifically, because it's a joke we have. Andrew, I, I tend to talk about the Dow a little bit, and he's like, what What are you talking about? What is that? It's 30 companies. 30 companies. Yeah. Well, the S&P, as we've stated here, it, it, it's got its own faults. So um, 500. Maybe, maybe I'm more vertical and not, not as much breadth as Josh was saying. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, that's, that's what people see on the news. That's what they hear. But when you unpack that and see what actually is causing that, uh, there are a handful that are, are moving that more than others. And it's, we- it's good to remember, too, that, you know, like Andrew was saying, this year NVIDIA is one of those top companies that w- w- whatever way those 10 companies move is essentially the way that that market is going to move because they weigh so much. Almost think about it as them blowing hot air. If they blow hot air, it they're moving wherever their air is blown. Uh, Tesla is another large company. Once again, not an endorsement, but they this year are up, you know, 60, 70%. But what's important to note is these companies, yes, look real good this year. Go back to last year and look. And it was almost the inverse of that. So they would have been a detriment to you. So it's you know, we get back to diversification and, and so forth, yeah. but. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because when we, when we're, when we're talking to clients about diversifying a portfolio, we're talking about stocks and bonds, U.S. versus international, large, medium, and small companies. 
And then when we get a little more granular, we've got growth and value companies. So value tends to be more uh, more on the conservative side. You've got your dividend payers, more income generating things. How have those two markets performed uh, comparatively to each other, growth versus value? Year to date, and this is through the end of June, so the first six months of the year, the growth uh, part of the market was up about 29%, and value, so those dividend payers, was up about 5%. So that's a pretty big spread between the two. And and to Josh's point, it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, well growth looks great. Wouldn't we want to participate in that more? But last year, that wasn't the case. That It was, it was opposite. And so um, that's why we talk about, because you can say, I want to own stocks, well, there's growth stocks, there's value stocks, and they don't move in the same direction at the same speed. That's a very kind of blanket term. And so um, it's just important to, again, uh, not that one's better than the other, but just understanding how they move, how they operate, and that they aren't the same. Well put. We have those conversations a lot with folks that say, the market was up 200 points yesterday and my account went down. Why? Uh, or... You know, it seems I, I hear that quite a bit. It, it seems like when the market's up, I'm not up as much. And, you know, when it's down, I'm down too. But it's important to understand what you own, what asset classes grant more granularly, and what your time horizon is. Because these things take long periods of time to play out. We're talking about recession, but we've been talking about this for a year, right? Plus. Plus. Yeah, this is like, what do they say, the most anticipated recession that technically hasn't happened yet. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. And it very well could. Like that's not saying it is or isn't, but it, we have a lot of discussions internally and it, it's come up for pushing a year and a half, two years now. Yeah. yeah. And, and we want to focus on what we can control. So right now we're monitoring for end of the month. There's another fed meeting. Andrew, you said it was July 26th and 7th, 26th and 7th. What's been the summary of the fed this year so far? This year, the Fed has met four times. We've had three rate increases of 0.25% or 25 basis points. So significantly different from last year. That was one of the reasons the bond market was impacted so much was the, the size and speed of those rate increases last year. And we knew heading into this year, the Fed was going to slow down on that. We didn't know or think necessarily they would stop. Um, the increases, but we knew we were on the, the back end of that interest rate increase cycle. And the, the language used in the last meeting when they didn't raise rates was that they were pausing. And we, we joked about that before we got on. That's that's their way of saying, we're, we're going to hold tight for a second, but don't think that we may not raise rates again in the future. They're, they're in a, a wait and see pattern. And it, it's very likely we could see another rate hike or two this year. But at this point, the rate hikes we're talking about are a quarter of a point at a time. Whereas yes. last year we had four 75 point basis point increases in a row, seven total four in a row at that rate. So, mm-hmm. um, the fed funds range is currently five to five and a quarter. Correct. Yep. Right. And inflation at 4.1. It's, it's not typically the case where they raise continue raising rates when inflation is below the Fed funds rate. But they would never say that they're not because that would uh, probably not be a responsible thing for them to do because uh, then we can have 
greater market volatility if they do something different or if things change. Well, as Josh said earlier, they're they're focused on long term inflation of two percent. That's that's their big big sticking point that they're looking at. So, um, you know, until we get to that two percent, um, you know, I would say they're they're going to keep all the tools in the toolbox um, until they see that where they want it. For time's sake, I want to switch gears a little bit. We try to get clients to focus on what we can control versus more, you know, things that we have no control over. Uh, Brooke, last summer, I think it was about this time, uh, we had the big announcement with the student loan debt forgiveness. Mm -hmm. You did a wonderful podcast on it. I think you published an article that we have available on all of that. Mm -hmm. How's that playing out for us? Yeah, so it was August of last year. Um, President Biden came out and said he was going to um, forgive student loans and uh, personally himself. Yeah. Himself, yes, it's pretty, pretty incredible. <laughs> um, so ten thousand um, or twenty thousand, depending on if you were a Pell Grant recipient. Um, so yeah, you're right about it. About a year. Um, so this ended up having um, a couple of people not protest, but state that he didn't have that authority to do so. Um, so on Friday, June 30th, uh, the Supreme Court uh, made their opinion and it did not pass through. Um, so no student loan forgiveness, um, either for the good or for the bad. Um, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. It's been since March of 2020 since people have had to make a student loan payment. Um, so over three years now. Um, so just interesting there, aside from not receiving the forgiveness, there were a few things that have rolled out as far as I can't do this for you, but here's something I can do or will do. Um, so there's going to be a 12 month, um, grace period. So we'll call it. So if someone were to not make a payment, once they start back in October, um, during the next 12 months, that would not affect their credit score. So if they were to not make it, it's not going to, um, affect that in any way. Now, interest is going to start occurring on these loans in September, first payment due in October. Um, and then also he's looking at making a new repayment plan. Um, currently right now, some income-driven repayment plans will say that 10% of your discretionary income, which is anything between 100% and 150% of the poverty guideline, um, is what you have to make on your student loan payment over certain time frames. So it might be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Um, that's getting lowered down to 5%. So people can submit applications um, to see if that's something that they qualify for, if that's the right choice. That all depends on your financial situation. Okay. Okay. So a lot more to come on yeah. that. You know, you know uh, it's such a, it's, a it's, it's sad that these young families, I mean, it's younger people or young I think in a lot of instances, young families that have this student loan. Be surprised, um, yeah. Yeah, that they're dealing with. And um, they've just kind of been in flux on what they're going to do. Uh, thankfully, I'm sure most of them have saved those payments back since March of 2020 and not spent them. You think so? That's a joke. <laughs> That's a joke. So they've probably reallocated the money somewhere else. For and sure. now they're going to, you sure. know, and, and thinking for 12 months that, um, that they were, you know, not going to have to do that. That changes people's financial situation. We're kind of just playing, playing games mm -hmm. with it just a little bit. I, I don't like to see that, but 
anyway, that's where we are. We can't control too much on that. Thanks for keeping us up on yep. it. Another change with net investment income taxes. Let's, let's cover that for a second because that, that's going to potentially impact a lot of people listening. Yeah, not so much a change, just something to keep aware as you move through um, the year, try to look for some tax planning opportunities. So the net investment income tax is um, affecting more and more people just because it's not inflation adjusted. So if we look at certain things in our tax code, um, we get inflation adjustments every year. So we might look at our um, our brackets for our ordinary income. We might look at different things like um, what we get to contribute to our retirement accounts. We typically get an increase in the inflation um, in line or close to inflation with those. However, with net investment income, tax, we do not see an inflation adjustment on those thresholds. So um, this is for people, if you're single or head of household, if you're over 200,000 in modified adjusted gross income, um, or if you are um, married filing joint, it's 250,000 of in, uh, married, modified adjusted gross income, then this is something that may or may not apply to you. Um, so it's 3.8% on um, different amounts, either the investment income or the amount you're over that threshold. Um, and so since those aren't inflation adjusted and we've seen wage growth, we've seen, um, you know, capital gains uh, paid out last year, things like that, it's affecting more and more people. So just something to keep in mind as you meet with your CPA or as you do some tax planning throughout the year, um, just something to make sure that you're talking about. Yeah. Un unfortunately, you know, um, a lot of our clients, and, and I'll say, I say, unfortunately, um, tax loss harvesting in accounts. We've, we've done a lot of that with a lot of folks over the last couple of years. And, and there's not a lot more there to be had, mm -hmm. uh, truthfully, which is in itself, not a bad thing, right? That, and I'm not saying certainly there are people that, uh, everybody's different, right? You need to talk to your advisor. Those are conversations we're having in all of our reviews, all of our discussions, um, but not as many opportunities there as there was as the market was going down consistently last year. So, yeah. Well, thanks thanks for the updates on those things. Guys, anything else that is really kind of top of mind right now that, that we're focused in on? Yeah. Yeah, so here we are, July 2023. A lot, uh, I think we'll look back on this time period and It'll be interesting to unpack it a year or two years from now and say, uh, here's how that played out with the recessions. But the truth is, is that you never know what you're going through economically uh, and in the marketplace uh, until you have hindsight to look at it. And history can only tell us so much. Uh, one thing that it does tell us is that staying the course is has thus far throughout history always been the best action. It doesn't mean it's not a roller coaster ride getting there. Um, but again, understand what you have, check your strategies, talk to your advisors, uh, you know, your financial advisor, your other trusted advisors like your CPAs. And that's what we're here for to help navigate things. We do take off occasionally like July 3rd, but in general, we are here to help all of our clients. So we want to hear from people, um, and your friends and family that may be concerned as well. This has been it for the July, 2023 Perry Ritchie group advisor Roundtable. signing off. Thank you. This podcast is intended for information and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable resources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. 
The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc., a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor member, member FINRA and SIPC. Robert W. Baird and Company, Incorporated.